Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. This week, we are back on the Throne of Glass train. We are talking about Empire of Storms, book five in the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mass. So I'm going to do a refresher on some of our main characters, um, and then Marissa will do the plot. Marissa, do you think there'll be cursing in this episode? There may be cursing in this episode. Okay, warning, there may be cursing in this episode. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start off with our main female lead. We have Aelin Ash River Galathinius. She is part fae and has firepower. She's the rightful queen of Terrazin. In the previous book, she helped free Adderlin from their tyrant king and release magic back into the country. In this book, she's working on taking back her throne and preparing for war against Valg. Then we have Dorian Havilyard, the current king of Adderlin. In the last book, he was possessed by a Valg prince and killed his father. In this book, he is traveling with Aelin, learning to hone his raw magic and heal from his traumatic experiences. We have Rowan Whitethorn. He is a fey prince. He was previously bloodsworn to Maeve, but was freed after meeting, training, and falling in love with Aelin. He's a fantastic strategist. Um, he has wind power and can turn into a hawk, and he's very supportive of Aelin. We have Lysandra. She's a former courtesan and a current shapeshifter. She and Aelin have known each other for years, but only recently became friends and allies. Adian Ashriver, Aelin's cousin. He was a general in the Adderlanian military, but never forgotten who his true queen was and where he came from. Terrace. Uh, Manon Blackbeak. She's a witch. She is a wing leader of the Iron Teeth Witch Clans. She is the heir to the Blackbeak clan, but she's struggling with obeying her grandmother um, versus following her gut. She also leads the 13, an elite group of witches, uh, where her second is Astrin. We have Alid Locken. She's the Lady of Parent. She has a limp due to an injured ankle that never healed. Uh, in the previous book, she was used as a slave by her uncle Vernon until Manon helped free her. And in this book, she is traveling to find her queen, Aelin. We have Queen Maeve, who's just awful. She's Faye, she's Queen of Dornell and Wendelin. Uh, she wants the word keys. She's just bad. She has the cadre, which we're moving on to. Uh, so that includes Lorcan. He is a fey warrior who's blood sworn to Maeve. He is over 500 years old and has death magic. He doesn't like Aelin at all. In this book and in the previous book, he's trying to find the word keys for convoluted reasons that he ultimately sees as protecting Maeve. We have Gabrielle, a fey warrior, also blood sworn to Maeve. He is also Adian's father, uh, but didn't know this until recently, and he can turn into a lion. Fenris, another fey warrior blood sworn to Maeve. He's unhappy about being blood sworn, sworn and he's the only one who did it for his brother. Um, so now he finds himself forced to service Maeve. 
He can turn into a wolf and has sort of a teleporting power. Uh, Captain Rolf, we see him in Assassin's Blade. Um, and so he comes back in this book. He is a pirate who rules the Dead Islands and Skulls Bay. He knows Aelin as Selena Sardothian, um, since in Assassin's Blade, she freed all his slaves. In this book, he finds himself approached by her, that is Aelin. Um, he has a magical map tattooed on his arm. Erwin, the Valg King, uh, he's the villain in this series. He's cruel. He wants to rule the world. Just really, really bad dude. Um, he creates awful creatures that are difficult to kill. He was previously thought to be defeated by Queen Elena and King Gavin. However, he was actually just entombed and has now gotten out of that and is ready to take on the world. We have Darrow. He's a Lord of Terrison who's awful and is keeping Aelin from claiming her throne. A lot of this, uh, so moving on to locations, a lot of this book um, is spent traveling and on a boat. But um, so what we hear about mainly are Morath. This is where the bad people are. Rifthold, the capital of Adderlin. Uh, Terrison, which is Aelin's home country. Skull's Bay, a pirate island. And Eelway, a country that's important to Aelin because her friend Nehemia was from there. Marissa, would you like to pick up with our plot? You betcha. This book is really long, so our plot sections can be a little bit longer than is typical. Here we go. Our book begins with Aelin and company in Terrison planning to meet with the lords of the territories in Terrison regarding Aelin's ascension to the throne. However, when she is finally able to meet with them, specifically Lord Darrow in Bertal Allsbrook, things do not go as planned. Darrow states that he will not recognize Aelin as Queen of Terrison, nor will the other lords. If she wants to be of use to her country, then she needs to go and find them allies. And so Aelin is super frustrated with the situation and angry at Darrow because he's a jerk and the other lords, because they're also jerks. Uh, but she takes it in stride. As they're leaving the meeting, a messenger brings word that Rifthold is set to be sacked by the Iron Teeth Witches. And so Aelin asks Rowan to fly to Rifthold and try to save Dorian and to head to Skulls Bay in the south, the territory held, held by Captain Rolf, who we met in Assassin's Blade after she has retrieved him, if she is able to retrieve him. Aelin, Adian, and Lysandra make plans to head to the city of Ilium, a port city, after the little folk leave a message for Aelin indicating that she should go to Brandon's temple there. Rowan flies to Rifthold at the same time that Manon Blackbeak and her 13 are making their way her orders of her grandmother. A coven of Yellowleg witches led by Iskra, the Yellowleg's heir, has already set to sack the city and Manon is sent to find Dorian Havilyard and bring him back to Erewhon. It seems that Lord Parrington has given up any pretense of pretending to be human and has fully embraced the Valg King presence Erewhon. So our big bad guy is stepping out. Manon arrives in Rifthold to discover the city in ruins with the glass wall around the castle having been shattered and quickly makes her way to the castle where she discovers a yellow-legged sentinel has already breached Dorian's room and is preparing to attack and kill him. Manon kills the sentinel, making her a witch killer, which is bad for her, and tells Dorian, who's been injured by the sentinel's wyvern, to escape. And so Dorian starts to make his way down the tower when Rowan bursts in to save the day. He sees Manon and begins to asphyxiate her, but 
Dorian pleads with him to stop. And so Dorian and Rowan are able to escape from the castle in the city and make their way toward Skull's Bay. However, there are consequences, apparently, for killing a witch. And so when Manon uh, returns to Morath, she faces a witch trial. And the price demanded for Manon's killing of Iskra's sentinel is that her second, Astrid, will be executed in the morning. Initially, Manon accepts this and plans to invoke her right to execute Astrin herself, as it will be a mercy for her. However, when the time comes to execute Astrin, Manon finds that she cannot allow her second to be killed, and so she attacks her grandmother, giving Astrin and her 13 time to escape from Mora. Uh, Manon's grandmother is a skilled fighter, though, and she gives Manon a severe gut wound, um, courtesy of her very sharp iron claws. And so uh, rather than be taken prisoner um, by the matrons and Lord er, uh, Erewhon, Manon throws herself over a cliffside um, and her wyvern Abraxos swoops in to catch her. She's bleeding heavily, but escapes and asks Abraxos to take her to safety. However, she loses contact with the 13, and she also loses consciousness due to blood loss. Meanwhile, in Ilium, Aelin, Adian, and Lysandra arrive to find it occupied by Adarlanian soldiers, who are jerks and are using Brandon's temple as their barracks. Uh, our crew makes plans to sail to Skull's Bay, and then later that night, they challenge the soldiers occupying the temple to fight or leave the city. Some of them flee, but the ones that uh, choose to stay and fight are quickly dispatched by Aelin, Adian, and Lysandra. Aelin explores the temple and finds an altar, which is where she's sitting when Brandon, former king of Tarsen and Elena's father, finds her and tells her that she must find the lock in the stone marshes to be able to fit the word keys back into the gate. And so they leave Ilium and head to Skull's Bay. When they arrive, they find Rowan and Dorian, who have already been there for about two weeks, as well as Gabriel and Fenris, two of Queen Maeve's blood-sworn uh, servants, who are also there per her orders, looking for Lorcan so that they can kill him for betraying her. Now, the last time that Aelin was in Skull's Bay, the pirate captain Rolf told her that if she returned, uh, he would kill her. So when she pops up in his office and reveals herself to be Aelin, the Queen of Terrison, his reception to her is not friendly or warm, but Aelin has come with a purpose. While in Ilium, she realized that Rolf and his crew of pirates are the lost Mycenaeans who were exiled from their home in Ilium long ago, and so Aelin bargains with him. If he will service her ally against Moraz, she'll recognize him as the lord of the My Mycenaeans, honor his heirs, and give them back their home city. Rolf hedges and so Aelin releases a bit of her power which acts like a beacon to the Valg soldiers that are stationed nearby and they come to attack Skull's Bay with ships and sea wyverns which are gigantic vicious sea death sea death monsters. Um, Aelin channels an immense amount of power to fight them along with the rest of her crew but she is also wearing the word key amulet when she does this and so that opens a door and the goddess Deanna uses that opening to usurp Aelin's body. And she tells Aelin that she needs to find the lock. And she also nearly destroys Skull's Bay with her power. 
but Rowan is able to bring her back and Aelin kicks Deanna out of her body. Lysandra, in the form of a sea dragon, a creature of myth and the symbol for the Mycenaeans, is able to kill three sea wyverns uh, with the help of Dorian and Adian by herself and then with the help of Dorian and Adian, the other two are destroyed. So the good, the good guys win, but it's a costly win and Aelin feels violated at having been overtaken by a goddess. Rolf agrees to ally with Aelin and, Aelin and he also uses his magic map that's tattooed on his hands to give her a somewhat vague idea of where she'll be able to find the lock in the stone marshes. So Aelin and company make their way towards Eelwe with some of Rolf's ships and Adian begins to acknowledge that he has feelings for Lysandra um, and he also struggles in, with being in close contact with his father Gabriel, who he met for the first time in Skulls Bay, and for whom he harbors a lot of resentment after he abandoned Adian and his mother, and then his mother later refused medical treatment and died to avoid the possibility of Adian being discovered by Maeve. But for our crew, for a minute, things are relatively calm on the sea, until they aren't. A wyvern is spotted in the sky carrying a rider with silver hair and Dorian realizes it's Manon um, and the crew takes aim to bring her out of the sky and shoot at her, but he begs them not to and then she falls into the sea unconscious. And so she's rescued and she wakes in pain to discover that she is with Aelin who had spared her life before their last encounter and has worked with Rowan to heal her now. She only briefly remains awake before sinking back into a semi-conscious haze. Um, Manon is overwhelmed at this point. So when her grandmother attacked her in Morath, she revealed that Manon's father was a croaking prince, their enemy, uh, that her mother loved him, and Manon was meant to be the child that broke the curse that was placed on the witches by the last croaking queen, um, which would allow them to return to their homeland. Her grandmother reveals that she murdered Manon's mother during childbirth um, and that she also later murdered Manon's father when he came looking for her and that Manon earlier that year murdered her half-sister Rhiannon when she was captured and tortured by the Iron Teeth witches, which makes Manon the only remaining heir to the Crokin throne. So... Manon is an unofficial croaking witch or croaking queen. Uh, and so Manon sort of has an identity, identity crisis because of this and zones out for a little while. But she snaps out of it later when Dorian comes to visit and he does this sexy flirting thing. And then he does this like sexy invisible magic thing where he restrains her hands and asks for consent. And it's, it's great. And she's super into it, but he leaves her hanging. And then he later requests that Aelin um, give Manon a little bit more freedom on the ship. And so she makes some concessions, which ends up working out well because they're attacked by Erewhon's bloodhound, who's been following Manon since she escaped Morath, as well as some of his Ilkin, which are eight-foot-tall, winged, formerly human monsters. And so it's all hands on deck at that point. And some of the crew members die, but all of our main characters live. Um, and they finally make it to the stone, the stone marches and set off in search of the lock. Okay, so let's not forget about Lorcan and Elide now. At the start of the book, Elide is tracking through the forest in the general direction of Terrison. 
and Lorcan has been stalking her and trying to decide if he should just kill her or question her and then kill her. And so he finally confronts her, but at that moment, a group of Ilkin find them in forest and Lorcan starts murdering and Elid runs away. She's confronted by an Ilkin within the forest and convinces it, convinces it that she's one of the Iron Teeth witches and it leaves her be at the moment. Lorcan catches up to Elid and she lies and says that her name is Marion and they begin to make their way north together. Lorcan needs information about Morath, which Elid has plenty of, and Elid is his best option, and she needs protection in trying to get north so that she can find Aelin Galathinius, her queen, as well as Selena Sardothian to deliver the stone that was given to her by Caltain Rompier in the last book. And so over the next few weeks, they pretend to be a couple and work with a traveling carnival while he gleans information about Morath and they travel north. Um, they're attacked by a group of Ilkin one night and Lorcan discovers, courtesy of the Ilkin, that uh, Elid has been lying to him about who she is, that her name is actually Elid, and she is the Lady Esperance. Um, he resents being lied to, but Elid also knows that he's lied to her, and so they share a bit more information about each other. When they arrive in a town nearby, they are betrayed by members of their carnival and quickly escape on a barge that's headed south as they discovered that Aelin is no longer in Terrison, um, but is in the south. And so Lorcan realizes that the amulet that he's been carrying, uh, which he thought was a word key, isn't actually a word key at all. And he finds a note from Aelin in it. And he is furious about that. Um, but he also realizes that the hidden object that Elite has been carrying, courtesy of Caltane, is a word key. And so the force that has guided Lorcan for his entire life pushes him in the direction of the stone marshes. And so they make their way into them. Lorcan and Elid also begin to develop some feelings for each other with which Lorcan resents. He hates having the feelings. Um, and they share a kiss. Um, but their moment is interrupted when he spies a legion of 500 Ilkin flying into the marshes. And so he starts sending out warning signals with his magic because he knows that Aelin and company are nearby somewhere. And that warning is received by them right as Aelin and company make their way to the center of the marsh maze where they find a trunk which is presumably holding the lock. There's no time to explore it right now though. They immediately begin preparing for a fight. Aelin tunnels deeper into her magic than she has before, with her team behind her to support and handle any Ilkin that may escape. And Elid and Lorcan make their way to the clearing where Aelin and company have positioned themselves right before she unleashes her power. And Lorcan uses all of his magic to create a shield that will protect him and Elid from being destroyed. Aelin decimates the Ilkin and uses all of her power stores. Elid and Lorcan rise and begin making their way towards Aelin, but Gabriel and Fenris are compelled by their blood oath to Maze to kill Lorcan and so they attack and Elid trying to save Lorcan throws herself in Fenris's way and nearly dies when he uh, bites her arm and gets hits an artery. She starts losing lots of blood and they're able to to heal her and Rowan makes a declaration that if they attack Lorcan again it will be considered an act of war because he is under Aelin's protection. And so because of those magic words, uh, Gabriel and Fenris are able to back off. Elite is healed. 
and Aelin and Adian are so relieved to see her and so is Manon and so there's like hugs and reunion feelings and just general happiness at Lee being reunited with them. And so the team goes back to investigate the lock only to realize that the lock isn't really a lock, but it's a witch mirror. And so they transport it out of the marshes and upon exiting the forest, they run into a small troop of soldiers, which is led by Ansel of Briarcliff, who we saw in Assassin's Blade. It seems Aelin wrote to her about repaying the life debt that she owed to Lena for allowing her to escape from the Red Desert when she betrayed her. And so Ansel has overtaken the city or the country of Melisande and uh, commandeered its uh, to be combined with her army to support Aelin. And so everything is good for about five minutes, uh, but they wake the next morning to a fleet of bay ships. And it turns out that Maeve has led her armada to Aelin ready to destroy her and her friends. So what happens next? Well, a lot of things happen next, but if you wanna find out, you'll have to read the book or stick around and listen because spoilers abound from here onward. All right, so this was my third read of this book and it is my favorite. This is my favorite book in the whole series. Um, unfortunately, it's followed by my least favorite book in the series, but whatever, we'll get to that next week. Um, <laughs> so here is why and I'm curious of your opinion Marissa because I know you really liked the book before Queen of Shadows yeah um, so here's my list uh, so I think the action and sus suspense is like just top-notch in this it's perfectly spread out between like all the sweet moments and stuff and then we have these insane intense action scenes um, a lead and Lorcan's relationship I like seeing that develop. And then one of my favorite parts is like all of our characters are coming together and they're hanging out. We've got Gabriel, Fenris, Rowan, Anon, Aelin, Adian, Dorian, Lysandra. They're all together. I love it. Um, we get to see Rolf and Ansel again. And then there's Spice in this book. You know, we got the sex scene between Aelin and Rowan, and then we got the sex scene with Dorian and Manon. And we got a hot kiss with Lorcan and the lead. The lead. So those are my, that's, I am staking as those are the reason this is the back. Oh, and also all of the revelations. Um, so that is the reason that this is the best book in the series for me. Those are How all did, good points. Thank you. How did you feel on your second read about this? Queen of Shadows is still my favorite. But I did really like this one. It, I, because of things, I had a hard time uh, being focused this week. And so for my mental capacity at present, this was a little bit heavy. But I did, I mean, I enjoyed the second read. I felt still all of the anxiety. So it's just as impactful the second time around. Like I knew it was going to happen and I was still like <gasps> stressed out. So it's good. It's good storytelling. I actually forgot something in oh, this. Forget. I forgot that Lorcan betrayed them. Oh, which is a huge thing to have forgotten. 
Yeah. Totally forgot. So when I read it on my second time, I went, oh, <gasps> uh, yeah, no, I didn't forget that. Completely forgot because you know what stuck out to me? It's his crawling. Because mm-hmm. they made um, a lead made such a thing about his crawling towards um, Maeve, mm-hmm. right? After he gets his blood oath is stripped from him. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me, but not that he, his power being sent out uh, is what called Maeve. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I remember that. Lorcan, he's just so dumb. I mean, I really like him because he's a brute. I mean, he's a broody male. That's just like, I just love broody males only in books, not in real life. But he's just so dumb. I just want to be like Lorcan. There's this totally great person right in front of you. And you're going to, you even said like, I don't dislike being around you. That's basically a declaration of love. And <laughs> you betrayed her. And but, uh, I found this, I, I had a bit of an issue with him myself. Um, he's just, he's kind of angsty in this because he's broody. Like his right. narration to me was just, some of it was really heavy um, at the beginning. Like, there's no hope. Everything's awful. Uh, I should squash your hope now. I left my conscience on the battlefield. It's uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> tragic. I've been around for 500 years. Everything is hopeless. I'm like, a bastard. I was born in the street. Uh. <laughs> Get over it. It's I don't have any friends. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I love how Elid calls him out for being jealous too. Cause he caught, cause he like, he, anytime he talks about Aelin, he calls her a bitch and he talks about Whitethorn. He's just so mad at Whitethorn for falling in love. And Elid's like, you sound lonely and jealous. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> like, yes, girl, you're right. He sounds like both of those things. I think it's cause he is. He definitely is. I mean, we find out later on in the book that he actually, um, was whipped for coming and helping um, Rowan mm-hmm. in Air of Fire. Right, that was Air of Fire, yeah, in Air of Fire. And so, like, there's some, there's some caring there. Yeah. You know, what is it these people that can't just be like, yeah, I have friends. It's like, no, I don't love anybody. I don't have friends, except I do. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I, I something when I was reading scenes, I was just like, ugh. For some of them so i, I struggled I with him a little bit in this i know but. i did too like he gets he gets a little bit better you know when like he and elite after they've been traveling together for a while and he's like decided he's not gonna murder her like they have these like almost like kind of sweet flirty moments you know he decides not to crush her spirit which is like a really major feat for him <laughs> like this sounds really bad it's like he's doing the bare minimum and we're like yeah he's okay (laughs) not really i love how she gets so or he gets so angry he's like you lied to me about your name and you have seen her lying this entire time why would she be telling you the truth yes exactly and he's lying to her too they're both lying i love a lead 
she tells a lot of the hard truth. She's like, I think you're unhappy. It's like, I think you're right, girl. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I liked her in the last book. I wasn't, we talked about it. I wasn't super focused on her because all the other characters were more interesting, but she ended up becoming like, you know, a stronger character, I feel like in this book. And I loved it. You know, her like lying her way to get into the carnival um, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I love, so at the end, right? Um, when Lorcan's, uh, after Lorcan tries to crawl after Maeve, right? And she says to him, I hope you spend the rest of your miserable, immortal life suffering. I hope you spend it alone. I hope you live with regret and guilt in your heart and never find a way to endure it. Like, ouch, Aline. Yes. Sell him. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, yes. Yeah. Okay, first off, bad Rowan. Or not bad Rowan, bad Lorcan. But she, um, you know, she's so fierce and like when she's introduced to, to us even and the person that she portrays herself, it is as this like, oh, naive, like, oh, damsel in distress. You know, she purposely dresses herself down to appear younger, mm-hmm. you know, so people will think she's not as much of a threat. And then she comes out with that. Mm-hmm. I hope you spend forever suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Lorcan's so mad about having feelings. That's great. He's so mad about it. It's like, I have to feel things again. He, there's one thing. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Um, wh- okay. So he's talking. It's, I think. Yeah. Elid says this to him at one point. She's like, all I hear are the words of someone who is deeply, deeply jealous and lonely and pathetic. All I hear are the words of someone who saw Aelin and Prince Rowan fall in love and resented them for them ha- for their happiness because you are so unhappy. Like, dang. Yeah. Hard truth. Hard truth, but it's good. Yes, he needs it. Oh, it's so great. He does. I mean, like, gosh. Yeah, you are the one making yourself unhappy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then he was all. You I have decided it's got to be this way. Like I said. Lorcan's just kind of dumb. And in, in being dumb, he makes me sad. He's he's talking to Elid about his relationship with Maeve. And he says to her, I have been in love with Maeve since I first laid eyes on her. But then Maeve rejects him and laughs at him because he like propositions him, her. And she's like, nah. And he says, so I have made myself invaluable in other ways. Like that's, that's pathetic. Mm-hmm. honey you need to move on like you're choosing to stay in the situation not that he's like he can leave because of the he's blood sworn or whatever but like you could find someone else you could I, it's just oh I hate that for him like that's sad yeah we know that Maeve is really clever about scheming and about um, manipulating people and so I think that she he has rejected Lorcan not necessarily because she doesn't want like isn't interested in having sex with him but more just because she knows that that's what he wants kind of like how with Fenris she knows that Fenris wants to be set free so she keeps him around she knows that he she knows that it drives him crazy for his brother to be the one stuck servicing her um I, I just I don't even I don't even think it's that she doesn't want to have like sex with Lorcan it's just that she knows that's what he wants and she's not going to give that to him 
because that's how she is and she knows that he won't leave she's awful and she's so manipulative oh i hate it but also it's so brilliant like what she does with rowan um and his a fake mate at this point i guess Mm -hmm. like i she's brilliant and so clever but hate her because she's awful yeah i mean she set all of this up to happen like decades ago Mm -hmm. longer than that centuries ago because she knew Aelin was coming that's what she said she's like I knew Aelin was coming I didn't know when um but she was coming so she set everything into place she got Rowan she got Rowan to lose his like believe he had a mate and then killed that mate and so when Aelin and Rowan met each other they hated each other yeah it's she set all of it up yeah makes her a good villain it does it makes her a very good villain but i love that she takes aelin before confirming that she has the word stone or word keys and aelin manages to slip it to um manon yeah right beforehand yeah love that gosh like edge of my god the last I like the last 200 pages <laughs> yeah, no i mean it's like every part of this book is almost at a climax mm-hmm. oh so aelin and rowan's relationship which we love just in general but in this you know we see it get more physical yes love that but i love how so at the beginning of the book for whatever reason they're kissing right and mm-hmm. it literally sets the ground on them on fire <laughs> around them on fire mm-hmm. i love that yeah they're so they get phys- like physical physical in this book and it's really great but like rowan is super into cock blocking himself like we're not gonna have sex against the tree for the first time like why not we can't do it in a stream okay what about a chimney nope oh look here's a beach <laughs> What What makes this better? (laughs) I don't know. That actually makes it so much worse, right? Okay, so really it's a great, like the scene is great. Super hot. Yeah, it's super hot. It's written really well, whatever. But in like life, for having sex on a beach, that's not, I don't like that. Sand gets everywhere. So sex Um, on the beach sounds like a bad idea. Yes. Very gritty. Mm-hmm. There might be some friction burns. I do the way it's written though, and I can kind of understand why she wrote it because like the sand around them turns to glass, you know, yes. it melts so much. It's it's great. It does happen. But also is the my favorite everywhere. my favorite part. Can you hear me? Yeah. My favorite part in this is that when when Rowan climaxes like he incinerates six trees or like they splint six trees nearby splinter like wow <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like an akamoff when he roars her name and like there's an avalanche that happens yeah love that it is a good scene mm-hmm. yeah it, it just in real life none of it really sounds all i mean you know having sex on the beach doesn't sound appealing i think having, i'd rather have sex against a tree 
Dorian and Manon's sex scene is spectacular. Mm-hmm. When he comes in and he's like, I need your consent. I'm like, okay, yes, daddy. Like, you got <laughs> it. Uh-huh. He's like, I need you to say yes. And he's like, yeah, I do too. That's yes. Give that consent. Ask for permission. I love that. And then he comes through with his invisible magic hands. And I was just going to say. And I was like, oh, yes. Uh, show me the magic hands. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's a good scene. It's awesome. She starts undoing her shirt herself. And he's oh. like, I can do that and she keeps going and he uses the magic hands and it's like I said I got it okay <laughs> take it <laughs> you can do it go ahead <laughs> yeah it's all you it's all you <laughs> and it's a big moment too for Manon because she gives up control which she's never done before you know like she yeah. makes a point of saying you know like no right. man had, had ever been on top of her before had ever um mm-hmm dominated I guess topped her topped her been in she, she never uh he's always been yeah. in control so big moments for everybody yes big moments for everybody and then even like Lorcan and Elide share that really hot kiss out in the marshes yes I yeah. mean, he's like dry humping her, basically. Mm-hmm. He's I guess rolling it, it sounds like it's probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like it's her first kiss, I think. Yeah. And Maybe. she says it's like the first time she wanted or desired anyone. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was much, much steamier than all of the others. I mean, think about where we went with Kale from Fade to Black to. We got no. description here of nipples and thrusting. <laughs> well, I think part of that may be related to uh, like the author's progression and age as she wrote these stories too. So she yes. had thrown a flat when she was like 16, right? Yeah. Yes, she did. So some of that may have just been like a function of age. So speaking of Lorcan and Elide and him being, you know, not a dirtbag for five minutes, um, they have this really sweet moment where like she's, um, she is, she's menstruating and she needs supplies. Like she needs cloth strips and he uh, is worried about her because her, her cycle is much heavier than it had been in the past. And he's, he's concerned that there's something wrong with her. Um, and so he makes a comment about it and she says something like, I guess I, my body just felt safe enough for the first time ever to be normal. Um, and he gets her cloth strips, like he cuts up his shirt for her and it's, it's very sweet mm-hmm. and he's just like so decent about it. And so let's contrast that with Kale in Throne of Glass, who, when Selena was menstruating, he was like, uh, repulsed and terrified literally ran out of the room yeah literally ran away from it (laughs) (laughs) the menstruation the bears are coming (laughs) and he says to her i do not mind being around you like wow (laughs) 
just a bare minimum. Really, really deep, sweet words there from somebody that hates everybody. Yes. He's really trying hard. Mm -hmm. Really trying. That's pathetic. Like, we, <laughs> he's trying so we, hard, and the best we, he comes up with, I let we, him go. <laughs> we have got to stop loving these characters who do the bare minimum. <laughs> it's because our expectations are so, so low that when they do the bare minimum, it's like, oh my God. That's sad. <laughs> Let's talk about Manon a bit because I have a bunch of notes about Manon. Right, um, kick it off. I love her finally completely severing that bond with her grandmother. Right. Mm -hmm. Although it's painful because she literally gets shredded. Um, yeah. Like she's practically like holding her insides together, you know, like the way it's described her stomach mm -hmm. is like shredded um if she was not a witch she would be dead um so and you know we think about when we first saw her in i think air of fire right and she's all these people aren't my friends they're just she's basically like they're not my friends they're my colleagues right <laughs> so now we just we just work together yeah <laughs> so now where she gets herself almost killed to protect them you know and acknowledges that these people mean more to her than just people that she's with um but yeah I, yeah because she couldn't kill astrin and they managed to all escape right and braxos catches her and she's like take me somewhere safe and he finds um Aelin. <laughs> I think really he finds Dorian, but Dorian's with Aelin yeah. is yeah. really what happens. Um, but Abraxos ends up being super helpful in this because then he goes off and finds the 13 later, mm -hmm. the rest of the 13 and brings them to her. But I love, I love seeing her change and stuff from that. No, these aren't my friends to, I would sacrifice myself for these people. Mm -hmm. You know, I will sacrifice myself. And we learn that she is not actually completely Blackbeak. She mm. is also Cochran. Crokin. Crokin. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking at the words, so I was just going from memory. Um, she's also a Crokin. 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 Confident. Say it confident. <laughs> she's a Crokin witch. She's a Crokin witch. Crotchin. She's Crotchin. a Crotchin witch. <laughs> All right, she's a different witch. She's not just an iron tooth witch. She's a different type of witch. She's also a good witch. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to go off and embrace my heritage and try to get all of these good witches to join Aelin's cause. Yes. Yeah, I know. I was feeling like, you know, Alexis Rose, her thing is like, I love that journey for you <laughs> yes. me in this book. Like, yes, Manon, I love this for you. It says in the book and Manon understood in that moment that there were forces greater than obedience and discipline and brutality. 
understood that she had not been born soulless. She had not been born without a heart. I was like, yes, baby, you were born with a heart. You use it. You embrace love and friends. Like you do it, Manon. That gave me chills. Cause that's when she decides like, all right, this isn't happening. I'm not going to behead my cousin slash second. Um, it was just, it was a, I mean, there was, there was a really pivotal moment for Manon. She had been struggling up to her, from her introduction up to this point, she had struggled with, uh, just blindly following her grandmother's orders, uh, versus like actually thinking for herself and making decisions for herself and actually seeing the situation instead of just being a blind follower. And that's, that is the moment for her. Like that's the linchpin moment where she's like, all right forget this. I'm my own witch. And there are some things worth sacrificing. I am worth sacrificing for my friends. So I loved that for her. Um, yeah, it was great. Speaking of like her grandmother, like this bitch just will not stop gunning for Astrid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, because she's the one, although it seems, so we learn that the curse on the wastes, right? has to do with basically the witches the clans have to come together right um but even though her grandmother knows that and knows what Manon is she's not like using that yeah like use her to break the curse but whatever because she's the one who can break it yeah but whatever her grandmother's just the worst I mean why do that when you could just kill everybody yeah yeah her grandmother really is the worst Oh, but so when she's, you know, uh, after the other 13 have got away and she's fighting her grandmother and she throws herself off kind of the balcony or whatever it is, and she lands on Abraxas, she says, let's make it a final stand worthy of a song to Abraxas and something about that. I almost cried because like mm -hmm. she was accepting everything. And then I was like, oh no, giant dog die too. Yeah. <laughs> So I was worried he was going to die. Well, for some reason, I was worried he was going to die and stuff too. And it's, it was such a great like escape scene too, you know? So she's yeah. basically just like, she's just holding on and not really doing it. She's just like giving him a pep talk. That's what she's got left in her right now. Um, and he's swerving and like basically causing the other uh, wyvern to like crash into things and managing to get away from them and tricky it's great because the escape ends up he carries her through it mm -hmm. yeah i love their you know relationship i guess yeah. the between wyvern and witch um we talked about dorian and manon's relationship a little bit well specifically we talked about their sexual relationship a little bit um mm -hmm. but you have a note in here about um her relationship with dorian do you want to talk about it a little bit all right, so they really need each other. So Dorian was with someone who, and he even says it, like, I don't want a human girl they like break too easily. And so he found the opposite of that in Manon, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they kind of need each other and he also softens Manon a little bit as well. But so the first time I read the series, I got a very sense that Dorian was just like this bitter person. Right. You always call him like a cinnamon roll, you know, mm -hmm. he's your cinnamon roll. But I'm like, what are you talking about? So when I started doing my reread, I was like, where did I get this from? Why did I end up feeling this way about him? This is kind of like 
what's going on? Um, and then I got to this because um, he's, she, or she describes him as like having cold eyes or smiling with cruelty and stuff like that. So like when you're in his narration, you're not, I'm not getting the vibe of anything about him being bitter, but it was seeing it through like her eyes that that's what he's projecting, at least to her. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I, that's where that came from. That's where I was like, uh, okay, I guess he's like bitter and a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's where it um, came from. And so now I'm back to being like, oh, what are your thoughts about, about that whole cruel and cold thing? Well, I think that Dorian has a lot of trauma that he experienced when he was under, I mean, he was deeply violated when he was embodied by that Val Prince. And so mm-hmm. there probably is cruelty and bitterness in his face um, because he was forced to do three things because of that Val Prince that are horrifying. And mm-hmm. if that, like, there's no way that that wouldn't affect you. I don't, I don't see how you could come out of a situation like that. I mean, he tortured and killed some of the, like the guards that he was close to people that he was close to. I don't see how you could come out of that situation without being at least a little bitter and especially guarded. Um, and I think that he probably has a lot of anger from that as well. So I'm sure that that does come across in some of his facial expressions. I don't know how it, how you could experience something like that and and it not not to mention the fact that he is still very deeply grieving Sorsha's loss I mean that he's still very affected by that and so I I'm 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 sure that and because it's not I wouldn't say that it's not like the other characters don't care as much for him as maybe Manon because I do think like Aelent is very attached to him they have a very close relationship or friendship and like that develops growing as well when they stay together some in skulls bay like they they have this acknowledgement but i think because of the relationship that he has with manon she sees that or at least acknowledges it more so than the other characters and i think some of that could be because of manon's own nature manon can be cruel and she has been cruel like she eats people for sport Yes. That's kind of cruel, right? (laughs) Yes. So I agree with you on everything because actually on my reread, when I was thinking, I was like about it because obviously this sent me off into a thing that I'm thinking about. Um, How much of what Manon, who Manon is, is that her projecting like kind of what she's reading off of Dorian as well, like recognizing herself in him. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure coming from, you know, everyone in life has a different kind of perspective of things. And we're seeing her perspective of him in this book. Um, And she maybe recognizes the coldness and cruelty more so than the other characters, because they're also, they also have pre, I want to say pre-existing, but, (laughs) you know, they already have opinions of him. When Mm -hmm. Aelin met him, he was a swaggering, womanizing prince, you know, same thing with Edian. And that's like, kind of who they still have you know in their head I guess mm-hmm. he's developed into this but Manon is the first time she met him he was Balg Prince you know like basically right. he was possessed still yeah so um yeah I, I definitely it wasn't like I read that and I was expecting him to come back out it's like same that he was you know he's mm-hmm. obviously gonna have trauma and development and stuff but that's I realized on my reread that that is where that 
that feeling for me came from when I thought of his character being bitter. It came from reading Manon's narration, her passages. Did we talk about how much Darrow sucks? Um, not in depth. Let's talk, talk about, about it in depth. Because I hate him so much. So, so much do I hate Darrow mm -hmm. at the start of this book. He's the worst. He says uh, to Adian, he says, war is a game of numbers, not magic. And I was like, uh, it's a game of magic when there's magic in your war. What are you talking about? What are you saying? You're fighting a demon from another realm with a magic demon army. How could it not involve magic? Not to mention, like, all of the numbers that they have. Numbers plus magic? Like, come on, dude. And then, so he repeatedly shames Aelin, and he shames her court, which flies all over me, because those are my friends. How dare you speak about them that way? But he multiple times calls Lysandra a whore, and I'm like, excuse you, sir. Uh, she didn't choose that. She was sold into that. So shut up but also sex work isn't shameful so go away like that's not it's not a shameful thing it isn't sex work is real work yes right. uh he is oh god he made me so mad right so first off he just like not he just comes off like comes on strong like right away you read it it's like oh he's already he's not gonna budge he already yeah. hates Salem. Mm -hmm. you know um and he says something like oh what are you gonna do melt my bones with every, like or you know uh burn everyone who disagrees with you it's just like ugh. i know i can't stand it but i do love so um when he starts um saying to rowan he's like oh he's probably just like looking to kind of like climb the ladder and become a king or whatever consort and rowan says um, if I was going to uh, scheme my way into ruling a kingdom, it would certainly be one more prosperous or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good point, yeah. Rowan. Yeah. Good point. Um, and then after all of this, when Aelin leaves and, you know, obviously she's pissed because, yeah, I'm pissed. I'm sure you were pissed. We're all pissed. Everyone's mad. <laughs> Everyone is angry. Um one of the things she says is, I have no plans to lose this war because some old bastard has learned he likes playing king. Love it. Snap, snap. Mm-hmm. The other thing she does when she's leaving is um, she makes another blood promise where she cuts her hand again. What? Okay, so she promises that she'll come back and no matter what, like even though they've treated her badly, she'll come back and she'll bring allies and Armin should be there, right? And she does this by cutting her hand again. I think this is the third time, at least the third time she has cut her hand to make a blood promise, right? But it's just like that her hand must be all scar tissue. Yeah. Could you imagine? It must like all be like, cause she's, it's not like she's not like, she's cutting it deep enough to scar. Like cause her, it's referenced several yeah. times the scars on her palm. I'm like, just, just quit it. Cut something else, cut the other right. hand. <laughs> My thinking would be like, cut something else, cut, a, cut your arm, cut something. Yes. Like, you're, you just use your hand for so many things. Also germs, like yeah. you touch so much stuff. How are you not getting like a staph infection? 
I know. Yeah. She just, it's the magic, I guess, probably like the magic healing stuff in her fae blood or whatever. Like it words off, it words off staff. (laughs) It's great. Yes. No flesh eating diseases for her. Like that's cool, I guess. But like, dang, come on. Yeah. Cut something else. I know. Um, and also, so in this, like, you know, after she meets with these men, she, um, (laughs) I like my note after she talks to the annoying old men who are probably white, Mm -hmm. um, she's leaving and she sees the stag Lord of the North, right. Like observing her. And this is not the first time that she has seen this. She has seen this multiple times, you know, so she knows there's some sort of like blessing over her and she's using also the Lord of the North to kind of guide her and where to go. So it's gotta be comforting to, at least know that, you know? Yeah. At least have some direction and know that someone out there is rooting for you. (laughs) Right. Well, and the little folk are doing that too. They've been leaving her little like hand, you know, little little crafted like models. Like they leave her the temple of Brandon. They leave her something else. They make uh, Rowan a little falcon or a hawk. Mm -hmm. They fashion it out of like sticks and wool or whatever. And he puts it in his saddlebag. How cute is that? I know it's so cute. I feel like it would be really comforting from that perspective as well to know that. And they've kind of been on this journey with her from the very start too, because in the, in Throne of Glass, in that first book, she finds a, it's like a flower crown or something mm-hmm. left for her by them. And so it, I feel like it would be comforting for her to know at least they, they are seeing what's going on and they are pushing her um, or at least offering some type of support as well. I know. So when you, when I went back and um, when we read Throne of Glass again and, it makes reference to the like oh there were flowers you know like in front of her and she was like grab them really quickly and shove them in her bag and now it all makes sense that's who did it it was the little folk mm-hmm. you're watching yeah they're watching and they're offering help and support and I just love that for her because she's not had very many options for support leading up to this point I get really frustrated when people like trash talk her and they're like she spent the last 10 years shopping like her life was so easy she was just training as an assassin and being repeatedly like beaten and whatever and I think Arabin may like change her up and she had to break her hand one time like they talk about it like she's been I mean and she has been yes that uh, shopping and and enjoying herself or whatever but like she was 10 eight how she was eight when magic went away right yeah eight. yeah so she was eight uh and then she was you know captured by Arabin, and then like i just don't understand what they expected her to do as a child she's been gone for 10 years she was a child for a significant amount of that time mm-hmm. what did you what did you want her to do I don't know. Also, it's not like she could just leave Arabin. <laughs> he would find her. I mean, he did. basically owned her. So yeah. I just don't understand. Because like even it mentions Rin in this book. He pops up too. And he's all resentful because of her um, her court, I guess. And, it's, and she offers him a place. Like whether he votes in favor of her or not, she's like, you have a place in my court too. And he's all like, broody and grumpy because she's been gone for 10 years like dude what did y'all want her to do (laughs) i know i get so i'm very defensive of my girl me too 
need to be nice to her. She's doing the best she can. <laughs> She's like, only 19 years old. Do you know what I was doing when I was 19? Drinking. I was there when you were 19. I drinking know. Crap. Drinking garbage. <laughs> yes. That strangers had <laughs> found for us somewhere. Like <laughs> I drank things. I mean, it's probably rubbing alcohol. I don't know. Freshman in college, sophomore in college, like we, anything we could get our hands on and closet wine one time. I had a friend bring me wine that he made in his house. Like that's what we were doing when we were 19. She's out here saving the world. Cut her some slack. Okay. I definitely would not have been able to do any of this at 19. <laughs> Be nice to my girl. Okay. She's had a hard life. Um, that reminds me of one of the quotes that I highlighted. Um, and it actually, somebody says this to Lorcan and the lead, um, cause they overhear some stuff about Aelin and they're like, oh, well, what did you hear? And the, uh, guy says, they say that she's beautiful as sin and colder than ice. They say she's a tyrant, a coward, a whore. They say she's God's blessed or God's damned. Who knows? 19 seems awfully young to have such burdens. And I like that because again, we're like, yeah, she's 19. At least this guy kind of gets it. But again, we know there's all of this other information going on about her. Like nobody really knows. Um, and people are spreading rumors about her. Like Maeve is out there setting fire to Elway, Elway. Mm-hmm. Blame it on her. Yep. You know? Um, and then you have these annoying old men mm-hmm. being like, Oh, this, cause this is what's annoying. Oh, you're only 19. Cause he says this, like one of the things he's like, Oh, like we don't want to put the hands of the country in the 19 in the hands of 19 year old, but also says, where have you been? So what is it? Yeah. What is it? Is it cause she's so young or is it because she hasn't been doing anything? Cause either she's too young, right. Mm-hmm. To have, like lead. Then she's too young to have really helped anyway. It's, uh, jerks. No win. And that's how it is. Mm-hmm. that's how it is with people like that you won't win no matter what mm-hmm. so she's like whatever whatever I do what I want and she leaves yep and off they go I'll get my own army by myself and you can suck it so and that's what she does mm-hmm. she gets the Mycenaeans and Rolf mm-hmm. she gets a uh, Ansel's army and the fleet from Melisande through Ansel's army and also Rowan's family and also the uh, assassins from the Red Desert and also her cousin, what's his name? Ash River from Windland. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Look how many people she got. So many people. Oh, she got the witches. I mean, she kind of got the yep. Dorian really got the witches, but you know, yep. she helped. She got the witches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She had all these people. Yep. Just by calling in favors. Yep. How I about know. that, Darrow? How about that? How many but favors you know. are you going to call in? Zero. He has none. He has no connections to see an annoying none. old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But that scene, that like final kind of scene right before, it's really right before Maeve shows up and everyone's, you know, turning. Uh, the tide is turning in this battle is just so good. It's like the Avengers <laughs> again, that final, <laughs> final uh, thing in the Avengers. So she writes her cousin that letter, right? That says, I defended you at Wendlin or something like that. Return the goddamn favor. Mm-hmm. I love that. And he's, there he is. He shows up. He shows up. Mm-hmm. 
Because, yeah, she was clearly, like, it was written in all caps and everything. Mm-hmm. She's clearly just fed up. Yes. Well, and I love that, too, because at a certain point, Adian starts doubting her, which really, I get really, I start getting frustrated with Adian in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I think he may have some self-esteem issues. And I get, like, I, if I were in his shoes and I had to serve under Aelin, it would drive me crazy that she didn't tell me the plan. Yeah. As her general, like if she didn't tell me the plan and what was going on, I would be very irritated too. Yep, super annoying. But like she's his queen. She has a lot going on. And he picks like the worst opportunity to be like, this is all your fault. I know. <laughs> In the stone marshes. Like I got so mad. Let me see if I can find the note because I, ha- I think there's a quote. It's like, they're in the stone marshes, they're finding the lock, and then they find out like, oh, yeah, it turns out that there are 500 Ilkin that are coming to murder us. This is going to be a really bad situation. And uh, Adian is like, super rude to her sometimes. Yeah, he says something about, because I highlighted it too, something about her flashing her magic around. Yeah, it, yes. He says something about her showing off her magic. He says, we should have stayed in the North. Like, and done what? Yes. Darrow, I, what are you going to do in the North? Darrow didn't want you there. He would have blocked everything that you tried to do there. And you would still have no allies. Darrow's solution was like, well, maybe we can marry you to someone. No, that takes away your freedom. How is that a better option, Adian? Mm-hmm. But also, 100% not the time like to have this conversation right before you're about to be attacked. It's 100% not the time. And then at the end, like she comes through with all this stuff. As soon as they evacuate or leave the stone marshes, Ansel's on the beach, like, what's up? I'm here. And Adian, at some point, he, he starts to feel bad for doubting his queen. It's like, well, you should feel bad. Well, it's, um, I think it's the last line of, the, it's, I know it's one of my quotes, but it's the last line of the book, I think. Um, Aelin Galathinius had raised an army not just to challenge Morath, but to rattle the stars. That was from his narration, mm-hmm. like his mind, when he was like, oh, you know, I had said I felt bad about saying all these things, like, oh, where are allies? Mm-hmm. They're all around you. They're coming. And I get why she didn't say anything, because she was like, I didn't want to say anything in case I failed. And then, you know, all your hopes were up. Right. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It would be frustrating to serve her. But I mean, and at one point he even admitted when it came to Ansel, if Aelin had told him about her plan to contact her, he would have told her not to borrow, to bother. So um, maybe you are her general, but maybe you also don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe you need to calm down a little bit, Adian, because I don't appreciate your attitude. Yeah. I do like the way he is with Lysandra, though. Yes. Adian and his relationship with Lysandra is so sweet. So she turns into like a sea dragon, right? This creature from a myth that she was studying to get them kind of the upper edge and so that they could gain the um, support of the Mycenaeans. Is that how you say it? That's how I say it. Mycenaeans. Mycenaeans? Okay. And, but she gets like pretty badly injured. So she kind of like washes back up on shore and he's there and he tells her that he's going to marry her one day and, you know, to kind of like keep her present and stuff. But they both provide support for each other. So he's always there when she's exhausting, 
exhausted from shifting. Um, she's there for him when he meets Gabriel, um, you know, his father. And they're so flirty with each other, but he doesn't push her because they're both recovering from trauma and like similar trauma too, you know? Like mm -hmm. he's been called Adderland's whore and she was a courtesan, you know? Mm -hmm. She's literally sold into sex slavery, basically. Um, and I found it interesting because there is a parallel to their relationship in Aelin and Rowan because they're working through trauma together. Mm -hmm. You know, they get really close in these books and they're there for each other through some like pretty difficult times, but he's so sweet. And there are a couple times when he thinks, I guess, like it'd be amazing if she ever even looked at another man in like a romantic way because she spends so much, because um, it's mentioned at the beginning that she's been spending a lot of her time in her animal form as a way to like heal sort of. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah i like their relationship um and there is a little bit of the reveal later on that there's like oh there's some representation he's bisexual mm -hmm. so that was a nice little reveal yeah yeah i liked that he is very good at reading her so there are several times when he thinks like so he questions if she'd even you know want to be touched by a man or him and he he has these moments where he like considers maybe trying to touch her in an effect, not like in a romantic way, but just like get or broaching the subject of them entering into relationship. And he says like her gaze shudders where she kind of pulls away and it's like, okay, not yet. Like he's really good at reading her and he's very understanding. Um, and they're just, they're really good friends. Yep. And I like that for both of them. Um, I like that they, that they have each other you mentioned uh her being there to support him when he meets his father what did you think about their encounter oh it was so harsh yeah it was really harsh um like i i get it i get you know that he's upset and stuff um because he didn't have his, his mother died and his mother like could have lived um if he had you know, or if she, uh, if she had access to better healing, but she wouldn't do it because Gabriel was one of um, Maeve's bloodsworn, you know. So he's got a lot of anger towards Gabriel. Mm -hmm. But I still feel so bad for him because Gabriel's like, I have a son. Oh, my God. And it wasn't like Gabriel just, like, had sex with his mother and then left. It was like, he was right. in love with her. Mm -hmm. They were in love. And yes. he says... Uh, that he's only been tempted to break his blood oath to Maeve one time, and it was because of um, it was because of her. Yep. Of he mom. says, here's what he says about her. He says, she was a bright star in centuries of darkness. I would have followed that star to the ends of the earth if she had let me, but she didn't, and I respected her wishes to stay away, to never seek her out again. I went to another continent and didn't let myself look back. Oh, oh Gabriel. I just don't understand. Why can none of them have anything happy? You know, because we can't have nice things. No, we can't. I understand Adian wanting, because like even knowing that's the situation, it doesn't make it hurt less for him. It's still what yeah. he experienced. He still grieves his mother's passing. And it, it because of Maeve, I mean, it's, it's because of Maeve that his father wasn't able to be present. And it's because his father chose to maintain that allegiance to Maeve. And so um, I just, I feel bad for them both. 
Uh, you brought up Lysandra a second ago, and you have quite a few notes about her. Do you want to go ahead and talk about her? Yes. Um, okay. I just, I love Lysandra. I think she's amazing. She is got to be my second favorite character in this book. I think Aelon's my first, and then Lysandra. Like, I know Rowan's great, and I know you love Nahimi and everything, but no, Lysandra is just, she's just amazing. Um, so she literally made herself into a creature of myth, you know, to bring back, like I said this a little bit earlier, but to get um, Aelon allies. And then when she t- tries it out, she realizes, oh, you know, some of this stuff isn't great. And she creates her own new animal that's like a killing machine. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yes. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. When she's talking about like when she becomes this e-dragon, all my mind can do is picture Haku from Spirited Away. Yep, I know. That is exactly <laughs> what I picture. That is exactly what I picture. It but, doesn't you know. matter that it's green. Like the whole thing is a jade color. I'm like, it's Haku. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. It's Haku. That's it. There's no spiked tail. <laughs> but it doesn't, you know, our mind sees us. Yeah, that's exactly what I picture too. Yep. Kind of like Calabrac. This is toothless. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, and because of that, I can only see Dorian as Hiccup mm-hmm. from the same movie. I think that's the same as a Hiccup. Yeah. So she also is really loyal to Alan, which is great. But so we find out there's this big twist and reveal that Alan is going to have to sacrifice herself. And Alan confides this in Lysandra and they come up with a plan. And Lysandra is willing to shapeshift and to pretend to be Alan for the rest of her life and have children with Adian, right? Like pretend to be married to Rowan and stuff and do that to bring like peace and everything to the continent mm-hmm. like that's an insane self-sacrifice um continuing on <laughs> she um understands dorian on just like a different level you know so she's able to point i mean so manon sees certain things in him but she can also kind of relate to dorian um so she's the one that points out that he might need the opposite of what sorsha was um and that it's amazing that he can never like because he may never look at anyone again either which is something that you know adian had said about her mm-hmm. um may never wanting to be involved in a relationship so many so many of our characters in this book have have trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> they all do they all they do. do they all do um but i i also love that she's a shapeshifter because so I, I said it a little earlier, but she spends most of her time in animal form at the beginning of this book. And it's her way of coping. And it's not a great coping mechanism. Really, it's like kind of um, avoidance, I suppose. So not a great coping mechanism, but I love it for her because her body wasn't hers for so, for what? She was like, I think eight when she was um, found too. Mm-hmm. So her body wasn't hers for a decade. And now it can be, whatever it wants to be. She can make her body into whatever she wants it to be. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be pretty a powerful feeling. And, you know, being able to change her body. Um, she's just awesome. And she's so good at it and so clever. I think that that highlights the um, the depth or the strength of her commitment to Aelin and their friendship as well, that she was out of control of her body for so long. She mm-hmm. finally has that freedom back to shapeshift to become something else. 
and to be in charge of her body. And she agrees to Aelin's request to impersonate her for the rest of her life. Effectively giving up control of that for her friend and for um, a country that hasn't really known about her, but I mean, she's not been treated well by people in general. So that she is willing to make that sacrifice, I think really highlights the depth of her dedication to Aelin and her friendship and her affection for her. I agree. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think the last note that I have about her, at least in this section, is, um, so I have that Adian's kind of an idiot um, in this book, as we um, talked about. And at one point, he's complaining about Dorian and saying that he knew him as, like, reckless and arrogant and she responds um, by saying, I knew your queen as the same. We were children then. We are allowed to make mistakes to figure out who we wish to be. And that's, I mean, that goes along kind of with her just changing, you know, like, because she's a shapeshifter and everything. But she's pretty forgiving of herself and others around her. Like, she definitely, she's the one who reached out to Aelin and was like, let's be friends, you know. Mm-hmm. She recognizes mistakes that have happened and that you can work through them and that, um, and to be more accepting of others too for what they did in the past, you know, because Dorian, who he was, you know, what like a couple of months ago, is not the Dorian that he is now. She she's so I she's just like very understanding. I think that I would say compassionate. She's very compassionate for other people, and I think that probably stems from pro- seeing probably the worst in humanity for so long which is it's miraculous that she's able to extend that compassion to other people after probably having been treated not great for a long time by a lot of people I'm sure that she had some uh suitors or clients I guess is what she would call them that weren't dirtbags and that were kind and respectful but we also know that she had to work for Arabin a lot um, and we know what he is like. So for her to be able to extend that compassion to others and that that sense of understanding and empathy is really pretty miraculous that it didn't harden her. And I think that's kind of a theme that we run into some with our other characters too, being able to maintain a sense of light or not allowing, huh, not allowing the hard days to win. That's not from the series, but um, that's kind of the theme. She has this knowledge like different from like you know um Aelin has all this knowledge about fighting and stuff like that and she's wise but you know Lysandra's got this knowledge I feel like more about people yeah more so than um, human nature yeah human nature or fey nature I guess yeah <laughs> just nature just nature, nature. yeah yeah she does say she wanted to try to turn herself into a plant. I thought that was hysterical. Right? She wanted to, yeah. And someone's like, can you even do that? And Adian's like, of course she can. <laughs> I love the support. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we see Dorian working through a lot of his issues in this book. And there's one I find interesting because it's something that we talked about Um because we at the end of, or not at the end, but in Queen of Shadows, um, before he kills the king, you know, the king makes all of these dec- like confessions and stuff. And we talked about whether or not that absolves him in any way or sort of makes him a good person. 
Um, and Dorian has thought about whether or not his father had actually been the stronger or better man in the end, you know, because his father had been able to fight the Valg inside of him, mm-hmm. had been able to, at least for long enough to instruct for these like towers to be built to shut off magic, like, you know, um, and Dorian feels, I think, inadequate and in that he wasn't, I don't think he rested control until the end, until, until Kale came up, um, you know, he was in there and he was watching and he was trying to fight, but he was never able to actually like wrest that control mm-hmm. from the valve the way his, his father was able to. Um, so I thought that was an interesting thing for him to be thinking about, especially because he was the one who also killed his father. Right. Um, I think what's different from his situation with his father is that when he was taken by the valve, he had just watched his this person that he loved beheaded i mean that's right that that's so traumatic and so there's a part of that that situation that that's a little bit like dorian's father you know he was fighting he was fighting to protect someone he was fighting to keep his son safe out of love in dorian's situation his love has been murdered under his father's command and so there's this process of grief and despair that he's feeling and so i think that would affect you know at a certain point he's like i just don't i don't want to feel things i just don't want to feel anymore like the grief the despair on top of being possessed by a demon like that's a lot yes i mean we don't know what would have happened if he was possessed for more of an extended period of time but we do see him you know like uh, his father's love for him is what managed to be the thing that um, gave his father a chance to get control for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was his love for Kale, which we're talking about him way too much for a book he's not in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that made him be able to uh, fight off the vows inside. Yeah. So. Um, and he also has this nervousness and he's scared i guess to ever be weak and useless and frightened that's what he said so he throws himself into learning how to fight and uh to me that was interesting because so there was no way for him to fight really what was going on in his head like all the knowledge of you know fighting or sword play sword plays not the sword I want to say like swordsmanship swordsmanship thank you all of the knowledge of that there's no way he would have been able would have made any difference in the situation where Sorsha died right but that's what he throws himself into that you know anyway when all of this is over and he's like I'm gonna learn how to fight I refuse to ever be weak and scared ever again mm-hmm. and when I read that it made me think of um Aelin, you know I am Selena, I am Alan, whoever, um, and I will not be afraid. My note in the book was maybe he should adopt that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as his own mantra too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think he threw, you know. I think he threw himself into that training just so that he would have a sense of control over something. That's because when you're, you know, possessed by a demon and not in possession of your body. And then also he was attacked in his own home. Um that there's a a lack of a sense of control over your life and your body. And if there's something that you should have control of, it's the things that happen to your body. And so I think that that's just a way for him to be able to feel empowered about himself and to have a sense of control over 
something. Something, yeah. Yeah. This isn't unrelated to any of the things that we've been talking about up to this point. But Rowan and Lurkin both use hatchets in yeah. combat. And that is so hot to me. I don't know. <laughs> like every time I read about someone pulling out a hatchet, I'm like, okay, daddy, like, let's go with this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes. I, I don't know what it is about the hatchets, but they keep pulling them out. And I'm like, you throw that hatchet. You just, you throw it. <laughs> also, something that I really like just in books as general is like the, the terms that they use, like an exclamation. So like in Discovery of Witches, uh, oh gosh, Galaglass, one of the things that he used to say was like Jesus and his lambs, I think, in exclamation. Uh, in this one, it's mother's tits. <laughs> Mother's tits, Rowan. <laughs> when is that said? I don't remember that. Fenris, I think, says it. Oh, right. Um, how do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about Olid and what she does? Um. So, I think Olid is a really interesting character because most of our characters have magic. Aelin, Rowan, the Cadre. Manon, Dorian, Kale doesn't have magic. Hmm. Doesn't deserve it. No. Uh, but Elid is like just straight up human. Super mortal. No hmm. magic. Except that she kind of uses this like, she. it seems like she does have magic. And I don't know if that's just like the regular old, um, it's not really regular, but the way that humans can be magical sometimes in our own human way. But she's so, the way that she reads situations and um, manipulates others, like it's next level. She uses that ability to manipulate to escape an Ilkin by convincing it that she's one of the witches. Mm-hmm. She reads situations. She's insanely clever. I know it says that she's guided or watched by Anith, but I I really like that. Even though she doesn't have like magical powers, she still has a little bit of magic. Kind of special. Elite is very special. Yeah, I I love her ability to be able to convince people, and I love what you said—the human magic. Um, you may have been the one to share it with me. I think it would maybe have been from Tumblr where it was like, I like to think that humans do have like some magic. Like, let's just say you're really good at just like one thing. You are always on time, like on the dot. Maybe that's like your bit of magic or something. Yeah. Was it you who said that to me? I don't know. There was a better example in there. Or like you always are able to um, stop toast at the perfect moment or something, you know? Yeah. Those are little pieces of magic. I mean, yeah. So when Rowan is flying to Rifthold to try to um, keep it from being destroyed, you know, he fails, but Manon senses him and says, a wind that smelled of pine and snow, a familiar strange scent, ancient and clever and cruel. Um, I want to smell clever. <laughs> How do I get that scent? Is that a perfume? I wonder what that would smell like, cleverness. Like a library? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Old dictionaries. <laughs> the encyclopedias that have been in your laundry room for the last 10 years. Cleverness. <laughs> there you go. 
we see Rowan struggle and have self-doubt with himself in this book, which seems weird because he's like this century-old fey prince warrior that's like insane and a badass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's so- super supportive of Aelin, but he's like has a lot of doubt about what he can provide and give for her. Um, and so in one of the, um, it was his narration part, he goes, all Rowan now had to offer his queen were the strength of his sword, the depth of his magic, and the loyalty of his heart. Such things did not win wars. But it's like, yes, it does. <laughs> it's, it's, it's enough. It's more than enough. It's all Aelin wants. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just oh, my heart. You know, um, he's like, I don't have gold. Or I, you know, I don't have any money anymore. I don't have an army. But he gets her an army still. He does. He gets his cousins to turn on Maeve. Like, he gets down on his knees and begs. He said he went to every ship on his cousin ship and did that for her. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate seeing him struggle with himself in this book and having self-confidence issues because he's so great. I hate seeing that. Agree. I do too. Now that's a thing that seems to come up several times, this feeling of not being worthy. Adian feels that way in serving Aelin and just, and he feels that way as part of like uh, confronting or speaking with his father too. Like he'll find out more about me eventually. Uh, he's worried about his father knowing that he's Adderlin's whore. Um, that seems to be, I don't know, maybe that's just like a female thing, but the, these feelings of, unworthiness i would say probably even lorcan feels some of that too because he's just a fey bastard born in the slums of Dornell on the streets or whatever so uh but especially for rowan i hate that because i he's my baby and i want him to be happy and he is so great and so capable uh and i remember that there was like a a, uh, like an oh no moment and i couldn't remember where it happened until Fenris says, nameless is Nave's price. Yes. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah, That's and then, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, with Mass, with this, like, leading this up, we heard that in the first book. Yeah. We heard that whole nameless thing in the first book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, and then again with Yellow Legs. And then, yeah, nameless has been following us around yes. this whole series. Mm-hmm. And here it is. And finally, it's like this. You know what it means now. Yeah, we know what it means. And it makes me sad. I hate it for Aelin. I mean, I just. I do love that in the end, Rowan is like, okay, well, I know you set us up so that we could just have Lysandra be you and have Adian procreate with you so that our kids look like you. But. I'm not willing to accept that. So I'm coming to get you. Mm-hmm. But I hate for her that she really thought that no one would be coming after her. Yeah. Like she planned this and everyone would just fall in line. One thing I didn't write it down is kind of off topic, but there is uh, at the beginning, I don't know, at some point in the book, she. Um, Rowan is like doting on her and Lorcan thinks this too at one point like somebody says something about it being like fey male nature to want to like dote and cherish and take care of their partner Mm -hmm. I just thought was so cute it is cute they're really cute I think I highlighted pretty much everything they said to each other 
I love it when he calls her Fireheart and she calls him Buzzard. Yes. So cute. So cute. And I love he gives a speech to Fenris about um, Aelin and he calls her and he's like, uh, it's something like, my fire heart might be like one flame in the darkness or something like that. But he's like, I love that he calls her, like says my fire heart to someone else. It doesn't mm-hmm. just stay between them, you know? Yes. Like he's making this like claim and she's like, she is my, oh, I love it. I know. I do too. I love when he's like, where's my wife? Oof. Yep. Uh, uh, like I don't know I'm not even interested in being married but I read stuff like that I'm like ah propose to me (laughs) 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 so we see Ansel of Briarcliff coming back in this story Mm -hmm. I love that I love that because we read Assassin's Blade this time we know like who she is and why this is significant um she she brings back Aelin's Asterian horse. Yes, Asterian I love that. Hathida. I love that. She says, do you know, I rather enjoy pillaging. Like, okay. She says that she came. She was going to Endovier to save Aelin. Because she heard. She heard that she had been put in, in prison. She said, I I knew if anyone could make it, it was you, but I was on my way. Um, She acknowledges that Aelin gave her 21 minutes to get away and not just 20 minutes. Like, it was so nice to see that come back around, to see Ansel's story, to get pulled back in and to have an understanding of why that was significant because we knew where she, like, where that story originated from this time. Yeah. I, I loved seeing, yeah, I loved knowing the depth behind that. Because when you first read it, it's like, oh, okay, you know, kind of. And now we have an entire, like, there's an entire novella dedicated to Ansel. Yeah. So. That one was my favorite, I think. Oh, yeah, The Assassin in the Red Desert? Mm-hmm. That was my favorite, for sure. So, continuing on with people, I guess, that we saw from Assassin's Blade coming here, too. Uh, Rolf. Uh, so we saw him in Assassin's Blade and um, he was basically who he is now except so still, at the time it was Selena. She made him promise to offer safe um, harbor to slaves and to never trade in the slave deal. Um, and I like that we got to learn more about him in this book and that like now it kind of means more to learn more about him too. Um, so we find out like how he got his map right like so there was a price for it and he had asked um like uh when he asked for it they're like there's a price you'll have to give up something that's like really important to you and it turned out being his mother and his sister Mm -hmm. um, when he returned but he had this map now and he could now take out everyone who'd ever been mean to him basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that he could do it and then um yeah I also liked so when they're talking to him and they're like oh well like what of these other parts of the island or whatever and he's like that's fine I'll just stay in Skull's Bay like I don't need I don't need the rest of it you know we all like I feel like we see so many times like bad guys and stuff um this whole like oh I conquered one thing now I want to conquer another thing now I want to do this and he's just like "Ah, I'm happy with what I got I'm good Mm -hmm. the uh 
the whole thing at Skulls Bay was very stressful to read the second time around. Yes. When I she, love that scene. She like, Aelin like unleashes that little bump of power and it's like, oh, this is basically a beacon. Mm-hmm. Um, but she gets possessed by the goddess Deanna and Deanna's like, uh, it's so nice to be where it's sunny and green again. I think I'll use all of this magic and destroy everyone in Skulls Bay. Gods suck. They always do. They always suck. They always <laughs> they do. are always awful. And the only thing that keeps her from destroying Skulls Bay is Rowan throwing himself in front of her. And Aelin's like, no, 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 we can't kill him. Ah, how are you gonna do this to my heart? It, and what I really loved is Lysandra as the the sea dragon in this scene. Uh, it talks about her taking out, you know, the first two sea wyverns, and she realizes, oh, they're the babies. And then the three angry full size sea wyverns come in, and the way that she uh, kill that she orchestrates their death is super super clever. She gets one to impale itself. She gets one close enough for Dorian for him to use his ice magic to turn it into a popsicle and it explodes. And then she gets one to get in range of Adian and he uses like a harpoon to kill it. Yes. It's spectacular. Like I could see it happening in my mind like it was a movie and I was so tense. Yeah. At that whole scene. Oof. It's great. I love seeing Lysandra at work. I love that's when we first get to see Fenris too. We get to see his um teleportation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, just such an action packed scene. Oh, yeah. It's great writing. It was brilliant. And we know later on. So the reason that so that Rowan steps in front of Aitlin and why it stops is that um uh, why she stops is because Faye are like inherently unable to or really unwilling to hurt their mate. So even though he was still not like consciously accepting that they're mates, he mm-hmm. was like, I can do this and it will work, you know? Yeah. Take a chance. So. Uh, Rowan, you poor little in denial person. Ugh. <laughs> uh. I've been screaming mate at my book at my my <laughs> iPad really for like the last two books. Like, mate! <laughs> it's your mate! Every time. <laughs> I swear every time. I know every time he says something really sweet and like talks about his feelings, I'm like, come on, Rowan, you're so close. You are so close. Because I know she knows it. Like as soon she as knows. he got hit by that arrow, um, you know, she was yes. like, oh. mate. Mm-hmm. It's your mate. I, <laughs> yep. Okay, so we know that Deanna kind of gave them a riddle, mm-hmm. um, and Dorian is the one who figures it out. And he's like, "You got to go through the mirror. <laughs> go through the mirror. That's a lock, but not a lock, right?" Mm-hmm. And Alan's all like annoyed that she didn't figure it out. <laughs> she would be. She's very cocky mm-hmm. that way. She would be annoyed by that. But Dorian, so that's something that I really like about Dorian. They mentioned several times in the earlier books that his tower is just this chaotic mess of books stacked on books and papers shoved into things. And he's super clever. I mean, that's, he's very, 
he's very thoughtful. He's very, he considers a lot of things. He's very, I mean, he strikes me as being pretty introspective. I love Dorian. Yeah, I think um, he's a lot smarter than people and a lot more clever than people give him credit for. And oh, yeah. really, really get to see that in the final book in the series, too. Yes, absolutely. To that. Well, he falls into, for uh, the earlier books particularly, he falls into that, like, womanizing, flirtatious royal. And that's how that's still how Adian sees him. He still sees him as the reckless guy that he saw really drunk a couple of years ago the the king's son mm-hmm. he's so much more than that uh, and you really see that develop especially in the last book we're not there yet but he his character there are so many character arcs in these books that i love but his is one of my favorites so is manon's so again back to kind of like skulls bay Alan has this conversation with rolf because i'm pretty sure he or because he calls her some sort of dreamer. He makes fun of her for her ideas. And she says, um, the world will be saved and remade by the dreamers. I love that despite everything that she's been in, been through, she still has this hope. And especially because all of the royals have this kind of hope and want to change the world, right? We've got Dorian. He's a dreamer. We've got mm-hmm. Manon, who is now a dreamer. We've got Aelin, dreamer. Lysandra's kind of royal. She's got land. She's kind of, I'm going to consider it because she's royal to me because <laughs> I love her. Yeah. But like just everyone in Aelin's court, you know, they're, they're all dreamers and the world will be saved and remade by them. And I love them. Yeah. And they're all looking to make a better world. Yes. Even if it does seem like a, like completely impossible to other people like Lorcan, who's just like there's no hope in anything me 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 um uh, let's talk about Fenris yes Fenris is another one of my favorite characters um I really want him to be free of Maeve so at the end right Maeve strips Lorcan and Gabriel of their blood oaths um and like does it dishonorably so i'm they're like bleeding or something i don't completely understand the logistics of it but whatever they're stripped of their blood oath right mm-hmm. and she um turns to mave and specifically says that she's not going to do it to him because she knows it's what he wants so he's forced to go with her again and i just like have this like it's not from his point of view but i just like had this like but like this energy kind of coming from him which makes no sense of like him thinking yes finally finally but then she doesn't do it you know mm-hmm. sort of thing and oh, i just want him to be free I know. um and he says this to rowan which oh, he says i'm glad you know that i got this time that Maeve unintentionally gave me that that i got to know what it was like to be here a part of this mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just great (laughs) my notice stopped making feel i mean he just wants to be one of the good guys so so bad he just he just wants he for one to be away from me but he just wants to i mean he just wants to do what's right so bad and to belong to the good guys and it just it makes me so sad for him his uh, his relationship with Aelin is interesting to me. It mentioned several times that he stays close to her, that he watches her, that he's near her. 
And I, I can't remember from the first read if there's a romantic interest in her or if he's just drawn to her because she is so powerful and pretty enigmatic. But he reminds me a little bit of the the male version of Selena Sardothian because he's brash and sarcastic and he's got that swagger and he's, you know, pretty fearless and he's just mouthy. And that it makes me wonder if that's in part what draws him to her too, kind of because they're they're a little bit reflective of each other. Me too. I just want I just want everyone to be okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why can't this book, the series? Uh like why can't anyone be happy we just want all of our favorites and they're like all of our favorites too like even the villains i, I love them you know like i hate them but you hate to love them sort of thing yeah. let's see you have a comment or a question about being a witch yes so i know a lot of times um you know we'll talk about this like would you want to be a witch would you want to be a vampire Do, you know what would you want to be so would you want to be a witch in this series no right me either no. Why wouldn't you want to be a witch? Uh, they eat people. <laughs> they have rusty iron teeth. That description bothers me every single time I read it. When Manon talks about her grandmother and how her iron teeth are like getting rusty, I'm like, oh, that sounds like tetanus. That's not good. It bothers me. I don't, and I don't understand how these iron teeth come down out of their mouth. Like, it sounds very painful. I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so no, why would you not want to be a witch? <laughs> um, they drink human blood um, and they also don't really have any magic. And when they can finally access their magic, they die, right? They can only access it in extreme circumstances yeah, and it kills yielding. them. Yeah, that's doesn't really seem fair. Yeah. Like, what's the point in having it if you just have to die to be able to use it? It's kind of rude. Yep. Yeah. So, no, I think I'd pass on being a witch. Would I choose to be a fae? You betcha. <laughs> I'd go for that. They don't have to eat humans or get excited by eating humans. I guess they could, but they get real magic and they have pointy ears and we all know. I'm about that life. <laughs> so um, right before this big battle and everything, Dorian kind of shoves uh, Aelin and Manon through this mirror, right? This witch mirror. And it holds the memories of a bunch of people. So we get to see a bunch of different memories. Um, we see Brandon's memory. Um, Elena's memory, Nehemia um, is in there as well. And this is where we learn that Elena is the worst person ever, or <laughs> female, whatever. She's the worst, okay? So she's all like, oh, um, I don't want to die and I don't want my loved one to die. So she locks away, you know, um, entombs whatever, heroin, right? But it turns out that the eye of Elena, sorry, the eye of Elena, right, which is also a witch symbol, it stands for the maiden, the crone, and what's the third one? Maiden, crone, and something else. I don't remember. Um, 
the maiden, the crone, and the matron. Ah, okay. So um, it's also a witch symbol. And that's how Dorian figures out that they both have to go through there. But it turned out to actually be, that's, that's the lock. That is the lock. And Elena had taken it from her father who had been saving all of his magic and kind of like channeling it into that um, and into the word stones that were in there and stuff, channeling it in there so that he could properly banish and get Erwin and all the Valg and all that off uh, in their universe again, you know, like out of, um, out of this universe, back to where they came from, right? And Elena just goes and was like, I know better than my father and wastes it. So now instead of a permanent solution, there is a partial solution. And even better, she then makes a deal um, with the like some of the people or not the people, the beings remaining that her offspring right and gavin's offspring and brandon right that whole line one of them will have to sacrifice themselves in order to recharge the eye again right mm -hmm. basically so that turns out to be aelin and elena is just like okay yeah let's do that that sounds great um so she's the one who kicks off all this. We find out she's the reason Nehemia died. She's the reason Aelin's going to have to kill herself. She's the reason that the Valg and Erwin are still around. Like, she's all of it. She's the worst. And then she has the gall, <laughs> the gall to show up in this book like a freaking savior. Mm -hmm. Like, she's some amazing. No, no, no. She started all this shit. <laughs> well, almost all of it. But she started this. Okay, she's the worst. Ugh agree anyway so another thing at the beginning of this book right she says i would sooner die tomorrow than live for a thousand years with a coward's shame but guess what ends up happening to her she ends up having to live like this ashamed right and she's like i feel so bad i'm so sorry about all of this oh shut up <laughs> just shut up freaking Tell her. i know it's super frustrating. Like, it doesn't feel like her, like, it just doesn't feel genuine to me. No, not at all. Or like, it's like, uh, I couldn't do this before, so it's your responsibility. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You're kind of useless. What I love about this is that, so initially, when Elena contacts Aidlin, she's, like, super wary of her. And then she's kind of like okay, maybe she's helping me. And then from, from like, I don't know, at some point, either in the first or the second, it might be the second book. She's like, uh, I kind of hate you. Just tell me what I need to know. I don't, I don't want to be involved with you at all. Like she's super like hands off with Elena and then resentful. And even in this book, it, it mentions that uh, Aelin is like snapping her fingers in front of uh, Elena's face to try to get her attention. Like she's, she is so done with her and she should be because Elena's a dirtbag. Yep. And I remember Dorian meeting her and he's like, oh my God, it's her. And like he bows. bows. <laughs> Elena's just like, nah, fuck this bitch. Yeah. Ugh. Or not Elena, Aelin. Aelin. Yeah. 
Kaylin. Ugh. Anyway, I hate her. Everything is her fault. And then she acts ugh, like, no, just no. So now Aelin has to sacrifice herself. Dorian is Fury. Dorian, uh, or Dorian, actually. That's right. That was the other thing, right? Dorian also yeah. has it could that be in his blood. Aelin or Dorian, but Aelin's not going to let Dorian sacrifice himself. Right. So, um, so then, yeah, Aelin knows she has to sacrifice herself, and she has this whole plan with Lysandra, and she gets captured, and Rowan's all mad. You know, where's my wife? And they all have to split up. And that's how book seven's going to start. Everyone's split up and everywhere. And that's awful because I like it when they're all together. Mm -hmm. And it's all Elena's fault. Oh, right. Uh, this is just fun. Aelin uh, burns people from the inside out. And oh, just, my like, gosh. Yes. Blow away to ashes. <gasps> love I that. I loved that. <laughs> Me too. Yes. That was spectacular. That yeah. hateful guard was like, Meh, and she was like, all right, dude. And he just like blows away like snowflakes on the wind. Love that. How spectacular. Right. And then everybody else goes running. Well, not everybody, but. Not every. 35 soldiers stick around because. They're idiots. They're stupid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, quotable quotes. Yeah. Let's talk about our quotes. So it turns out we highlighted a lot of the same stuff because I was going through trying to pick quotes and everyone that I looked at, it was like, oh, Vicky's already got this. <laughs> Crap. So I got one that you didn't put down. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan says to Aelin, this is after she's tunneled down into a spectacular amount of power. He says, I see you. I see every part of you and I am not afraid. And in her thoughts, Aelin follows that with, my name is Aelin Ashriver Galathinius and I will not be afraid. And I love this moment for them. Basically everything that Aelin and Rowan say to each other, I love, but especially this because we start to get the sense we, she's talked about this in the past when she was learning to use her magic and gain control of it. But her power that she's able to access in this book is so much more immense than where it was when she started learning how to manipulate it in Air of Fire. And it's scary. It's frightening to her. She is fearful of losing herself and her magic. And Rowan acknowledges this at one point. He says he, he goes up and he gives her just some contact just so that because he realizes that she may need someone to pull her back into herself. So the amount of power that she's wielding now is insane compared to where she was. And it's scary. We get the sense that it's, it's kind of frightening to her to be able to wield this much power. And so I love for her that he's able to ground her in this way, that he, he acknowledges her fears and validates her and says, I see you and I'm not afraid of you. What about you? So I have uh, two. I have, I think they're both said by, they're, yeah, they're both said by Rowan. Um, I love you. There is no limit to what I can give you, no time I need. Even when this world is a forgotten whisper of dust between the stars, I will love you. Oh, it's so mm -hmm. sweet. Plus the imagery there. Yeah. Forgotten whisper of dust. It's beautiful. Um, the next one I have, again, Rowan. I'm pretty sure this is what happened last time. 
Queen of Shadows. I think all of my quotes are from Rowan. <laughs> uh, even if Maeve had kept me enslaved, I would have I would have fought her every day, every hour, every breath. I would have fought the rest of my life to find a way to return to you again. I knew it the moment you emerged from the Valg's darkness and smiled at me through your flames. Mm. How did you not know she was roommate? Come on. Nate. I know. I read that and was like, dude, Nate. come on. It's so mm -hmm. obvious. Good quotes. Mm. Rowan's just perfect. I know. <laughs> All about Rowan. Yeah. All right. Let's do our final thoughts. Yes. Um, my final thoughts are, I love this. This is my favorite. They're the same as my initial thoughts, I guess. Um, this is my favorite book in the series and oof, the ending, everything revealed, just going into the final book is intense with all of this that just got dropped on you. Um, at the end, it's, it's intense. It's crazy. Keep it fun. Stays on your, uh, you stay on the edge of your seat sort of thing it's it's great i think it's perfect yeah uh my final thoughts would be like every time i read one of these books i'm glad that they're already all published but especially with this one because it goes straight from this to tower of dawn and then to kingdom of ash so you have to wait a book to find out like what's going on with your friends um i know that you don't like tower of dawn uh, but it like I don't mind reading it if I know I can jump straight to Kingdom of Ash from here. So if I had had to wait like two years between, it would have killed me, I think. Right. So uh, this is a spectacular book. Uh, it is. It is. I mean, it's just one thing right after the other with this one. So it's really good. And I liked it. Well, that wraps up Empire of Storms. Join us next week. We'll be talking about... Tower of Dawn by Sarah J. Mass, be book six in the series. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.